I ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, and we will head there in just a little bit. Um, in the two of our covenant commitments, we have this. I will regularly meditate upon scripture and pray. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but right last night, those were the two messages. Meditating on scripture, reading scripture. You can't meditate on scripture if you don't read it. And praying. And then the next covenant commitment is, I will bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, such as may be under my care. And think of the time that we have right now as basically the fusion of those two. Right, The fusion of bringing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord those under my care, together with scripture and prayer, would mean how do we exercise these spiritual disciplines, scripture and prayer, in the context of the home? And how do we bring up those under our care in relationship to these commitments? And I have the plan for this morning in our time here is to work through three basic questions. The first question, what do we mean by disciplines in the home? The second question, why do I need to think about spiritual disciplines in the home? And the third question, how do I do this? How do I do it well? I, I want to give you um, the, the concept so that we understand what it is, what it looks like. I want to give you the motivation so that we feel, uh, you know, to a good healthy extent, the burden and the necessity. And then I want to give a little bit of help if you're in a place, and it's just this is where you're at, um, that that's not happening. What do we do? And how would you do it? Um, so first with that question, what do we mean by disciplines in the home? And like, what even is the idea of this? And we've already heard a set up for the concept of disciplines or spiritual disciplines. We heard messages on Bible reading and prayer. Um, you know, I could fairly easily and simply substantiate that those things, Bible reading and prayer, are directly commanded in Scripture for exercise within the local church. For, so 1 Timothy 4 talks about the reading of Scripture. Some, one of the things a church ought to do is read Scripture, and that would include, obviously, our Scripture reading time. That also includes what happens in a sermon most of the time. This, the preacher will read a passage and then go further to explain the passage. All of that is under scripture reading. And on prayer, First Timothy talk, 2 talks about that um, to a large extent. My argument this morning is that scripture reading and prayer in the context of the local church commanded, that's not enough. It's not enough that you and I would come on Sunday and do those things one day out of seven but that this really does need to be exercised if we're going to promote growth or see growth. This has to happen on a regular basis at home. And my core, my core idea for this first question, what do we mean by disciplines in the home? And my core idea that relates into that is that true sanctification is not isolated to church. True sanctification is not a churchy thing. Um, you know, if I was going to break up kind of the domains of, of our lives... <laughs> Um, I probably, for most of us, I think I'm safe saying like three basic categories for the purposes of our discussion here. We can talk about church. We can talk about work slash school, depending on what your status in life, what's going on. So church, work, school, home. 
and I understand that some, for some that may be more like two categories. I mean, we could have, we have stay at home mothers here. We have people that work from home. You can have those kinds of categories. So, okay, I'm just using this as kind of like a basic idea, toss it out there, those three. And if I process those three out, where do you think is the hardest place to live in a Christ-honoring way? I mean, I'm here and I'm surrounded by other people that 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 would would we would we would all affirm together that the highest priority is to be like Christ. So when I'm here, I've got like all kinds of support and encouragement, that kind of thing. Um, in a work context, yeah, absolutely, you could have you could face some adversarial influences pushing back on you. Um, so that I can see the contesting arguments here that you could go for work as the harder place. But I, I'm going to maintain that home may be the hardest place to be consistently sanctified just because it's also the most comfortable place. Like, it could, you, you could come back to it and like, and it's kind of the sheer mundaneness of it, the sheer ease of it, the sheer, like, here's where I let my hair down, uh, here's where I'm able to just, okay. And, and in the sense of being consistent being solid when um, I'm thinking, I'm especially thinking here of like moms with littles, all of the stuff's coming at you. And at that point, managing all that, right? Could that be maybe the harder place in a consistent kind of way? And here, I just want to give an illustration that sort of, it, it grabs the idea of church not just being the isolated segmented place where I'm going to live for Christ. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm at church. It's a churchy thing. But for this to be across all of life. Um, use the exa- example, and I thought about this, whether this was, anyway, I just pondered this out. But, but uh, my grandfather, when I was growing up, where this goes is a story of redemption. So it has a good ending on it. But uh, when I grew up, my grandfather, good man, um, and they made good choices along the way. I mean, the church was a big deal for them, and they were always in church, and they made some costly choices about following the Lord and raising their family for the Lord and that kind of thing. Um, but somehow, my grandfather managed to make it all the way up into his, uh, into his 60s without ever actually having a personal connection to the gospel, and he would affirm that. Uh, he's gone now, and there was a conversion moment somewhere up in his 60s. Okay, now in that story, I remember then, you know, churchy family and that kind of thing. Um, But I remember that when I was growing up, you definitely, as an 8-year-old, 10-year-old, 12-year-old, around those ages, I remember that we detected that that there were times when Grandpa was just something was eating at him. You kind of, you know, go play somewhere else or something. And there was also, I remember this as a memory, I remember that... um, there was a clear distinction, as even as an eight-year-old, that that there was a difference between church and home. That, like in the church context, that he was going to be one way, and then we would, you know, we'd be at home and it'd be a different way. But it's kind of like when you arrived at church, it was like, oh, okay, that's right, and it just sort of changed. Now, I, I the reason I grappled with this illustration is because I do think like honor father and mother extends out to grandparents. I really I want to honor his memory. And I think that's why it's important to say that it's a story of redemption. My grandfather 
Uh, he humbled himself as a 60-something-year-old man who had been in church all of his life, and there was a day when he stood up in front of a church body like this, and he gave a testimony, and he said, I've not been a Christian, and now I am. And that latter part of his life, it was clear that there was no more division. There was not like a church grandpa and a home grandpa. It was, it changed. It's pretty awesome. But I just put that out there here as a little bit of a, here's a challenge or a picture of that. May it not be said that there's kind of the, there's like the church Joel and there's the other Joel. And may it be recognized that if that's true or to whatever extent that was true, eight-year-olds can detect that, perceive it, recognize it. And you don't want to have that. Right now, I'm going to just drop in little caveats in here because immediately it's kind of like, ah. um, you know, again, I, I'm thinking of moms of littles. Um, you're recognizing that your role and all the craziness of it, you know, the octopus arm phase of life and all of that stuff. Um, you know, you're having to do a lot of stuff. Get out the door, okay? You got, what, all right. How are you in the car and you don't have a coat on? Okay, run back, get your, okay. And, you know, like our own exodus this morning getting out here, very stylish. Very stylish, if you know what I mean. Um, so, you know, that's, that's reality. And obviously, when you're at a, in a church context, then, you know, you're not, you're not, like, interacting with everybody that way. But it is just this, like, hey, I, you know, I want my sanctification to pervade, my, my walk with Christ, Christ-likeness, I want that to pervade every part of life. No segmenting. No compartmentalizing. A church is not my time to sort of take care of the spiritual stuff. You know, I visit the dentist twice a year, change the furnace filters every three months, get the oil changed. And you're like, you know, you don't want to, in between those, you don't want to think about the dentist or the furnace filters. You don't want to think about the monthly budget between the times when you sit down and do all that, right? It's like, did it, done, we're out. Okay. Church is not like the Sundays are the days when we take care of the spiritual part of life. Did it, done, we're out. Sundays are just the day when I have one more prop and one more help. And it's, it's like, hooray, Sunday. But, but the living out of it stretches across the week. Monday to Saturday, all of that. And, and when you recognize that then... If on Sunday I'm going to be fed, as we are, you know, my, my experience, consistently I, I leave church fed. <laughs> I really don't come to church wondering if I'll be fed today. I'm fed here. Okay, if we are fed here on Sunday, then the question, all these other days, what's going to happen? Well, there we go. Spiritual disciplines within the home, all of life. That means prayer, scripture, seeking God all across the week. See, but I, there's a little distinction here that I haven't teased out yet, and it's, I think, important to put in here. That is, I, I'm pointing towards something more than just location. So I kind of gave, you know, like church, work, school, or what did I say? Church, work, slash school, home. I kind of put those out as uh, locational. And that is basically the way we've proceeded so far. Um, but it's not just that, is it? I think part of the idea of spiritual disciplines in the home, we're, all, we're not just talking about a location, but we're also needing to talk about spiritual disciplines in the collective, spiritual disciplines in relationship to other humans. 
And that's where pretty much I'm going to go the rest of the time. Not just location, but it's spiritual disciplines exercised in a way that it's not just I do it, she does it, they do it, but it's we do it. And, and, and we exercise and are exercising, in a sense, those spiritual disciplines now in the collective. We are together worshiping God. We are together hearing his word. We are together praying. It's that idea expressed in terms of the family, which causes me to drop a little asterisk here. I'm going to recognize here there are lots of family arrangements under discussion. And so at points, I'm, I'm going to go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6. We'll talk about that, which is very much this notion of you will teach it to your children. And so it is presuming, and I'm, I'm going to have to presume as we go here, kind of adult and child at times even, we'll you know, talk about marriage, and so we're recognizing husband and wife. And I, I acknowledge if I just look across the room, all kinds of different situations represented here. Like you've got you know, spouses where the other spouse is not a believer. You've got situations, you know, no children or children are out of the home or singles. I mean, you've got all of these different configurations. Okay, so you do, we'll have to take this and you have to, we have to apply it to those different scenarios. And I just want to acknowledge it on the front end. I think there is a way to apply the principles, the ideas to all those different scenarios. But that takes me into the next core question. First question, what do we mean by spiritual disciplines in the home? The argument, the idea that sanctification, true sanctification is not isolated. And so what we mean by those disciplines then is Bible reading and prayer, not just a churchy thing, but a all-week thing and a all-family thing. You're working together with the people around you in pursuit of these things. But why? Like, I mean, why is that a big deal? And here my core idea is that uh, sanctification is not a solo sport. Sanctification is not a thing one pursues by yourself. I'm using sport, I'm using a metaphor. You've got these certain things that you pretty much do alone. I don't know, the high jump or pole vault or something. You know, you don't pole vault as a team. Okay, all six of us, pole vault simultaneously. Okay, It's it's just you doing a thing versus sports that just, they don't really work unless hockey, you do it together as a group, basketball, soccer, whatever. You do it as a group. And and I'm, I'm taking that metaphor across sanctification. It's not a solo thing. The, the idea of a believer who is pursuing God and flourishing and growing and they're isolated from the others, that's the New Testament, is, I don't even recognize what that animal is. And the, the, that, of course, is primarily expressed in this, right? Sanctification is not a solo sport. It's us, brothers and sisters, it's us. <laughs> we, we are a we. <laughs> we are pursuing God together, this church body. We hold each other accountable. We have church covenants that we've made to each other, okay? But, but depending on your marital status, you probably may have made another covenant to another person, Okay. And in the framework of that covenant, that's also a pursuing Christ as a we. And you may have other members of your home that are minors, and that's together with them, pursuing Christ as a we. That takes us to uh, Deuteronomy 6. And a critical passage, really, really fundamental, significant passage. Um, this is kind of 
you know, church covenant. This is like the church covenant. This is like, we talked about creeds a couple of weeks ago. This is like the creed of the Old Testament nation. And it sounds like this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Pause there. So much things, so many things, so many things that we could talk about here. I mean, you've got a doctrinal or theological statement about God. What is God like? He is Yahweh, links to the, the God of the Exodus. I am who I am. He is our God, so a relational God. He's the God who relates to us. He is one God, not many. And if you take those ideas, then one of the, the implications of those ideas follows. If God is one, if God is our God relationship and, and connected into all that he says about himself, I am that I am, the implication of that verse five, you should love the Lord your God with everything your heart, soul, mind, everything. And that fits what we talked about a little bit earlier, right? The compartmentalization idea. It just won't do, will it? It won't do to love the Lord your God on Sunday when the way that this is framing it out is all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Uh, it doesn't work to pursue other gods from Monday to Saturday when there is, in fact, exactly one God in all the universe, and so the only, the only right response, you've got to love him singularly. So he doesn't like share his, he doesn't share bandwidth with any other God. Okay, so what I've got in there is a theological statement, verse four, that has a practical implication, verse five. And those two facts are gonna move further down, verse six. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I think that's beautiful. Like he's, he's given a doctrinal statement, he's given a command. So here's a thing you should believe is true. Here's a thing that you should do or that should control your attitudes. And you're gonna need to internalize that. Deuteron that's a huge theme in De Deuteronomy. You're gonna have to make that on your heart. You're gonna have to believe it, feel it, live it, know it. It's gonna have to be part of you. And when it's on your heart, verse 7, you will teach them diligently to your children. You will talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Um, I'll keep on going, sorry. When you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I, there are people that took this very, very literally. And you could go to parts of the world right now where, I mean, you'll see people with a box on their forehead. They'll have stuff on their doorposts, and it's physically there. Nor exactly can you say, like, they're just kind of like, oh, stick it up there, forget about it. I mean, in many cases, they are taking it really seriously and memorizing it. Something still got broken in there, and what got broken in there is that the, the whole idea of this is not at all like a tangible, okay, you know, got it, but it's it's obviously metaphorical language. It's it's, it's, it's that scripture and the truth about God and, and not just information, but also loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, all of that stuff is just woven into the full fabric of your life, top to bottom, one into the other, all-inclusive everything. And if it's all-inclusive everything, like if these truths are just woven into everything, then it, then it is absolutely unthinkable, unconscionable, impossible that this would not then invade your family life. Invade. 
control your family life, dictate your family life, pervade your family life. That, that your family life would be saturated with this. And now, I mean, in that way of ex- expressing or thinking about it, you can see how when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise, and it's, you know, he's throwing out verbs, but not just so you like, check, 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 but just so that every activity, every activity you do is pervaded by this, is teaching, talking of these things. I mean, how would you... How would you do this? Like, you know, set an alarm on your phone and every five minutes, like, okay, oh, yep, say this again. I, I think the link on that goes back to it's on your heart. Right? I mean, if you've had a hobby that you just love, if there, if, if there are current events that really get on your mind, certain things happen and it's just kind of, I was just thinking about it. Or, um, I mean, if there's this stuff that just sort of pervades every part of life, like, decent illustration right now. It's like, you know, the, the weather and its implications, it's kind of pervading every part of our lives right now, right? And you got, okay, I woke up a couple of hours before we left. Okay, get out there and plug in the car, right? You gotta get, okay, now walk out of the car, pray, okay, turn it on. And, um, you know, all these, th- okay, I, we, this happened this morning. An individual, the member of the family, like, r- goes out the door. Hey, you have no mittens on back in. Okay, every part of life is just pervaded by this, and, and so then it gets into your head, and you've got to be conscious of it, and you've got to think about it, and it's got to be there, right? It's, it's got to be part of the backdrop music of your life. Let these truths be part of the backdrop music of your life, so that it's not like, like paste it on, as though, you know, the structure is already there. Then I pull out my can of paint, like paint on a little Christian on there. Now, I think that looks pretty Christian. No, it's in the fabric. It's in everything. It's in the framework. It's in the scaffolding. It's in the design. It's all of it. Every part of life. How do you do that? By making it every part of here. I'm going to need to, going to genuinely need to love this truth. Think this truth. Believe this truth. Pray this truth. Like, it's going to have to be real, and it starts inside me until, if it's, if it's thick enough, built into my own heart priorities and the things that just kind of, like, my mind always goes back to it, then, then hopefully then that comes out. I mean, it has to come out, just in the conversations, in the responses, and what goes on. Um, I, well, I want to skip down later in the chapter, because there's a pretty good illustration of what this would look like. Verse 20. It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In between, he's talked about some of the history and the story and what God is like. And then he just comes cycles back around. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the rules that the Lord Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, and it's, again, Beautiful illustration of what this looks like. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. So the history of a personal story. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt, against Pharaoh, against all his household before our eyes. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our God always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. It will be righteous for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. I mean, that's a pretty extended paragraph as an answer to the question that the son wants to know why all these statutes, commandments, and rules. 
And here's a theological answer and an entire framework. And, and I, I, again, I just think the core of that is, right, you don't, it's not like, um, it's not like the, the child would ask a question at that point. You're like, hang on, Google, chat GPT, how do I answer a kid about this? It's going to have to be so deeply built into just the way you're already thinking. It's like, oh, well, so it does. I mean, it really brings it back to right to my heart. <laughs> Get it in here so deeply that it's already woven mentally, emotionally, volitionally. It's already woven into the fabric of my life. So then when the conversation happens, it's not, right? It's, like you don't, you know, it's hardly like you'd want this to just sort of be put on. Now I'll go into preachy mode. It's, it's not going into Christian mode, churchy mode, preachy mode. It's like, oh, well, the, because the home is an ideal laboratory for some of this. This is kind of, this is kind of why my argument, I mean, you know, I, I can see our, my argument earlier is church or is work a harder place, is home a harder place. I can see the arguments both ways, adversarial stuff that, that, that you can face at work. But I, here's where I'm kind of, it's like, it's, it, this would be hard to just have it so woven into life that, that I'm, I'm living it out in front of witnesses that are watching me when my hair is down all the time, just watching. It's, this is, there's a, there's a great book if you want to look this up or you want to chase some of these themes further. It's called Everyday Talk, and it's basically an exposition of this. Um, but it's strategic. It's strategic because everyday talk, I mean, just that idea. Everyday talk is strategic when it's not like put on or synthesized. Not like, okay, hold, put on my tie. Okay, now we're going to have a starchy conversation. When it's just everyday talk. Um, when when it's, it's speaking out of the, the situations that life itself raises in your response. Right? I mean, I, I remember my youth pastor years ago telling me um, as he was watching just teens come through. And I asked him, you know, I was, I didn't have kids yet. So I was worried about this <laughs> advice for kids. And he just said, well, the, the basic thing is um, they'll probably copy you. And, and that, like, as you're living life around them and stuff comes up, my reaction to that and what they watch is going to be huge. All right, here's a hard thing that was just for me. Um, how is my parenting different from a really good, moral, upstanding, diligent unbeliever. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, one of the things I think every parent wants, we'd like, our, we'd like our children to stay out of prison. We'd like our children to not be, um, I don't know, creators, massive creators of trouble. We'd like our children to be solvent. We'd like our children to be stable and steady. And I, I mean, I, but you got to lay this, you got to lay this down here. If, if your child graduates from your home and they're, they're nice and they're hardworking and they're accomplished, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Or, you know, I'd like to hope and I, I, I want to pray. I want my children to be Christ lovers. I want my children to know him. And I, again, you know, if I, across the room, we have 
all kinds of life situations and that that express that could express a burden for you and it you know you may be at this the empty nester stage and you're like oh and you're great let's pray for them let's pray <laughs> right but like that's what we're aiming for something more than good citizens we're aiming for redeemed people and if that's true then my parenting has to be more than just instilling in them discipline, consistency, solvency. My, my parenting of them has to aim for something more, and it's this, salvation, sanctification, love of Jesus. And to that extent, then, a pretty decent measure out here would be, is, is my parenting philosophy, my framework, my pattern, my habits, and what I say by, what, by or through what I do, is, is all of that at the end of it, really that different from this really nice, disciplined, good citizen guy who's like, eh, Christ, whatever. It better be. There better be some gospel in there. Which takes me to the last question, and it's the, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do it well? Um, just in case you're wanting to track these. So the first question, what do we mean by disciplines? To which my, my core idea, true sanctification is not isolated to church. It's, it's a whole life thing. Why do I need to think about spiritual disciplines in the home? And my idea there was sanctification is not a solo sport because we, the family, need to grow together. If, if, I, if I truly do love um, and prioritize relationship with Christ, then that there's no way that that at the end of it, my parenting would basically just be indistinguishable from an unbeliever, I, I, a good, nice unbeliever. But no, it, it's not a solo sport. We're going to grow together as a family. And uh, my third question, how do I do this or how do I do it well? My supporting idea underneath that or core concept underneath that would be sanctification is worth strategizing about. Sanctification is worth strategizing about. Um. You know, you could have, just give a comparison on this or something. Um, when I was like 20 years old, I didn't really need to do any like thinking, planning, bothering with budgets or tax strategy or anything like that. It was really, it was a great solution. I had a great tax strategy and a great budgeting solution. I had no money. So you don't have to budget it very hard. You don't have to think about taxes very hard because government doesn't, they can't tell you, and there's nothing there. Um, it works out. You know, but as then your financial status changes, then you got to start thinking, it's like, there's some value here. There's some importance here. And so, you know, the larger your income becomes, the more you, you better figure out a tax strategy, right? It's just as that income changes, you better figure out a management strategy. Um, why? Because there's some value here. There's no value, strategy, whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't, um, I can't really exactly say that I have like a dental strategy. My dental strategy is try to be consistent, brush when I can, and floss every day, and you know, okay, that's my strategy. I don't have a strategy, I don't think about it. But there's massive value over here. Something that's really important to me, you're gonna figure out a strategy. If I value sanctification, I'm gonna strategize about it. Like, it's a planning. It's not like, oh, I'm busy. And so I'll try to get to this eventually. Busy? Sanctification. <laughs> My family walking with God. This is worth planning. This is worth thinking about. 
And under that, I'm going to give um, two headings or two ideas. I'm going to give just some general overview suggestions, and then I'm going to just go through some specific ideas. The way I came up with a lot of these specific ideas, especially, I had the opportunity or just I got the chance to reach out to, I think, three or four different families, um, all different statuses in life, so from people with really small kids all the way up to empty nesters and just talking through what have you done, what's been helpful for you. And four things that are a general overview notion. First off, something is better than nothing. I heard a really great conference speaker, and uh, he said something like, one is infinitely more than zero. His name was David Talbert. And the idea is, I mean, if you're doing, like, you know, you could be like, if you're doing nothing, like, I'm doing nothing. Okay. Guess what? Of anybody in the room, you have the greatest opportunity to improve. Anything you do now is going to be massive. <laughs> Just do something. And, I, you know, I would say, furthermore, aim for doing something consistently. Um, you know, there's these ideas, um, so atomic habits, 1% improvement every day kind of idea. And so calculates out to be this massive thing. Or just the idea that if you, if you do this constantly, regularly, now it's become part of who you are. Um, you know, it's better to do something and even something small, but just to do it regularly. So I, uh, self-confession here, especially when, uh, the kids were young, I, I would have these uh, like ideas of things I would do for, the, vi for the, the devotion time. And, you know, it'd be like this big activity. It'd be, you know, it'd be fun or whatever. Like, okay, we're going to build the walls of Jericho. We're going to march around them and knock them all down or something. And, you know, it'd be loud and memorable and chaotic. Um, and, and so it's like a nice idea, but then it's like so exhausting and everything that at the end of it, you're like, yeah, let's not do that again for a week and a half. Um, and the result of that then is, you know, like, we got nothing, famine, okay, we got something, nothing, okay. And at some point, um, uh, the, uh, the other spouse in our family said, um, you know, what if we just brought the level down and we were just consistent with it? It was our idea. So we started doing, we just read like a chapter or two chapters a day, but we'd aim for getting it every day. And like life went on for a period of time and family changes. And so we moved up eventually. We're like, I think we could do more. And we went to consistently two, and we consistently do three chapters a day, but just consistent. A lot better than, and I would even say like part, there's two problems with the desert feast kind of thing. There are two problems with it. One is the desert, <laughs> but the other problem with it is I would say, are you the feast? Like, bring that, like, actively and intentionally bring that down. Because, I mean, part of the reason you're not, you're here sometimes is because you're there sometimes. So, like, lower the expectations. I aim for something really manageable. 10, 15 minutes, fabulous. Like, that's really great. If you can manage to do that, like, 10 minutes over supper every day, you're killing it. I mean, I think that'd be great. And I think that's immensely better than every once in a while spending 45 minutes or an hour and then just not, not wanting to do it again. Um, a 
third notion with this, your what you do will change as your family changes. That's kind of why I wanted to reach out to a bunch of people in different categories. Because it's, I mean, it's you know, I, it would be too easy for me to just say like, here's what we do, and like, well, that's what we do now, but that's not what we did seven years ago, and it's not what we'll do in 20 years. You're, as your family changes, it's going to change. I think that's actually really. I think there's a helpful idea there, which is um, just building an infrastructure, like an edifice of your perfectly curated system. And then like, I've built my edifice. It's beautiful. It's a work of art. Don't touch it. We're just going to do what we always did is the quick way to death. It's organic. It's growing. And so as your family changes and as time goes on, expect that you're going to need to like update it. In fact, I just put in here... um, whatever, every certain number of years or something, you should go back and look over your living will and, you know, have I done all of that correct paperwork, legal paperwork? If I set that all up, it's, you know, check life insurance, that happening or whatever. You know, these things that you kind of ch- are supposed to check on every once in a while. How about this? I just put it out there. Maybe this is a pretty good time to go, hey, we might have a routine or we might not have a routine. Here's just like a, hey, let's take this on and evaluate this as a family. Like, we're doing something, maybe let's on the way, you know, I have a huge bun on the way home, initiate a conversation with the spouse. How do you feel about it? You like our routine? Should we update it? It's probably a pretty decent time to maybe like, hey, let's check in on that and maybe rework some things, maybe strengthen some things. And my last idea, umbrella idea, would be do this as fellow worshipers. Now, I thought about this, and I was trying to ponder out how I would biblically support this if challenged. And my answer to that is, I don't know, give me time. No, I thought of some things, but um, I'll just make a distinction here. And I'm going to pause it here. I'm going to propose here that in the large part, aim for your family worship time not being kind of um, the bully pulpit or the, the speaking, here's the issues of the day. Uh, like the worst case scenario, what you really don't want to have is family devotions and immediately the kids are like, who did something, right? <laughs> Somebody is busted because we're having family devotions. What's the issue? Um, I mean, that's the worst case scenario. That's, I'm sure that's not where, where we're at. But um, it, I mean, the idea of instead, this is just what we do. And we're really, it's in, instead of the vision of like, I'm here now, I will preach, you guys sit here quietly, and I'm going to put things into your heads, which, you know, that's, that's, some t- that's actually kind of like the metaphor of preaching in a church context. I'm going to argue, think instead, more the metaphor of, here's the word, actually, I like this, this metaphor for the church context, too, a lot. Here's the word, and we gather around the word. Even within the church context, I think that's a beautiful thing, though you obviously have a, a person that's primarily speaking. But in the family context, too, I, I, what I'm trying to aim for, and so you can evaluate this, I'm really trying to aim for we're worshiping together. Like I, might, I might be the dad in the home, my wife's the mom in the home, we might be the parents, but really we're sitting together around the word fellow worshipers who worship together. Some of that may be because of the age of my kids. And so I think if they're really little and you know, unbelievers, and that, then that would probably shift some of those ideas. But that takes me then into specific ideas. And I think I've already given the first specific idea, which is just, I mean, what my family does, 
we keep it really simple. But we'll listen or read three chapters, and we have a really brief conversation. Usually at the end of the three chapters, I'll say, what did you guys see? And I'll already kind of have, I have in my mind a certain couple of things I want to highlight and ask them what they saw, and sometimes they'll say the things that I was thinking of, and we have a little bit of discussion. Sometimes they ask some questions. We're like between 10 and 15 minutes, that's it. A lot of times on Sunday, um, we're doing it in the car because I use the ESV app, it's free, and you can play the audio Bible on it. I, during supper, it's generally during supper, I'll put on the audio Bible, and we, just as we're finishing up our meal, we listen to two to three chapters, we have a discussion, clean up the dishes. And it's really not like this back-breaking thing. It is built into, just into the fabric, into the habit. Um, that works for us. Uh, we've heard, and I got some of these great ideas when I emailed uh, other families, but families that will, every day, read the Nicene Creed. Anyone's guess about what family gave me that suggestion. Um, you could talk through a catechism. So there's a, a really great catechism on this. Um, New City Catechism is one that our family has used. They're done for kids and, and families, but I mean, they've got these additions, like in our family, each one has a little copy of it. Each kid has a copy. You can go on the website. Um, I was looking, Gospel Coalition has a bunch of like, they'll have songs and verses that meditate on it and like a commentary discussion of it. And I mean, it's all kinds of, and it's free. Uh, I have a PDF version of it. If you want to look it over, I'm happy to send it to you. It's good. And it's just, you're doing kind of a scripture summary thing, and then underneath a little bit of discussion of what, what that means. Um, someone suggested that they work through key verses of every biblical book. And I think they're only, their kids are small, they're only up through like about the first half of the Old Testament. But I mean, I thought this is a neat idea. Um, and I was, I was able to finish out the rest of the books and just put it together into something. I have that available if you want it, but it would just be, let's say for Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Like that's a pretty good summary verse for that book. Or Joshua 1, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, that verse. Judges, in those, day there, there, in those days there was no king in Israel. It's just kind of each book, all 66 books, a verse for each one. I think you could use that in a way where I think they go through and they try to memorize it together as a family. I think you could just use that like, hey, here's the next 66 nights. We'll read that verse, talk a little bit about, you know, do you, you, if you've got older kids, do you think that's the best verse? Or is there another verse? Or are there other candidates? Like you'd have a 10 or 15 minute discussion around it. Um, but you're just engaging with each book of scripture like, like that. Um, I guess I did this in a bad order, but at a very young age, uh, somebody will do storybooks. I remember doing that, Bible storybooks. I, I prefer Bible storybooks that have the text of Scripture in them, and there are some great ones. Um, my wife's a good person to talk to about some of those. She pretty much knows the whole, the whole scale of the different books that are out there and does a great job with it. She'd have some ideas. Um, but, you know, that can work where you have pictures and you have excerpts. I, it's nice that it's scripture. I'm also a big fan of the big picture story Bible. It's just one of the different many, but it's a really good summary of the entire story of the Bible. There's something called Family Ways with the Clarksons. Um, I also have a free PDF of that that I found online. And it's, I, it's neat. It's kind of, it, it's stating family, like core family values 
very much Christian-oriented, very much practically oriented. So teaching out an idea about how you resolve conflicts or something, but it's going to be connected into a biblical principle and a biblical, biblical reason. And they've got different supporting uh, concepts that go around that. Um, prayer, absolutely, as the as the kids are growing, I mean, from an early age, they can learn to just copy and pray. And it's, I think, critical to call on them to pray as mealtimes happen, help them come through that. Praying together as a family, let's say, I mean, when a major thing comes up that the family's working through, praying around the car, that's <laughs> for some reason, that's where it's always in my mind that every person in the car will pray together. And last, um, at, at an evening time, I mean, I, if you're like my wife and I, you get to the end of the day, pretty wiped out, fall in bed, you're ready to sleep. Um, so it's not a time when we're going to launch a huge devotional process, but we'll at least try to pray together each night. And at different times in our lives, we've done better than I would say we're doing now. Uh, like read a psalm together. Read a psalm together, not like huge discussion, but just read it. All of that put together then, I just want to encourage you back to that core concept. Let's do something. Let's take the opportunity. Let's pause. Let's back up. Let's look at what we're doing. This is worth strategizing about because sanctification is not a solo thing. God's given people in your life around you, growing together with them in the vision of seeking to fulfill or pursue what's described right here, that as a family, both as individuals and together, that we would learn to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our souls, and all our minds, that our, these truths would be solidly on our hearts and that they would be part of every part of our life, that we constantly think, live out these things.